0: Welcome to the first podcast of 2016 of the Pop Anime Comics Lounge, episode 28. My guest today is Javier Cruz Winnick, the author of A Reason to Smile, as well as a custom illustrator. Now, in this interview, the audio quality is not of the best, so I hope you stay with us as we continue to proceed all throughout 2016 with this podcast. But before we dive into the interview, I'd like to remind everybody to follow us on Twitter, at Pop Anime Comics and like our Facebook page Pop Anime Comics and check out our website popanimecomics.com as well as stay tuned to the end of this interview cuz I have some great big news that you do not want to miss so without further ado let's dive right into this interview when were you first introduced to art i used to watch cartoons i used
1: to live overseas and my father was in the military so my aunt had sent me two vhs tapes full of saturday morning cartoons And I'm sure you know how VHS tapes were back in the day. You could actually get about six hours worth. So from 6 a.m. to 12 in the afternoon, I had the entire run of Saturday morning cartoons on two VHS tapes. But seeing those cartoons and other varieties of shows, the different characters, the different storylines, that made me very intrigued. So I would just start drawing the cartoons that I would see. And that was my first introduction to art.
0: And at what age did you realize that, hey, I can be an artist and that I want to be an artist?
1: That happened when I was about 10. I was at a summer camp from the Boys Club of New York, and what they would do is they would have you do academics in the morning, and in the afternoon, they would do athletics. So at one of the classes, one of our teachers, he starts the day off telling us, okay, this is my job, this is what I love to do, and I'm very happy. So when you become adults, you're going to need to have a job. It's going to help you pay your bills and take care of your life, and you should be happy doing what you do. So find a job that you love. So that's when I thought about it, and I said, I really love to draw. I'm going to be an artist.
0: And what were some of your influences at this age?
1: My first influence that I can remember was Arthur Adams' as Guardian Wars. It's funny that it's starting to come out in a lot of people's conversations lately, but that was the first graphic novel that I ever bought, not realizing that it was a collected edition. But I found this book at St. Mark's Comics in New York, and it was a really large graphic novel, and it gave me a lot of visual information. And it fueled the rest of my drive towards being involved in the comic industry.
0: Being that you wanted to be an artist at a very young age, how did that affect you throughout the rest of your schooling, in your elementary years, as well as your middle school years, and into your high school years?
1: Wanting to be an artist basically determined where I went as a person. I used to always take my sketchbook with me wherever I would go once I finally had one. So people knew me to be the person with the book in his hand. So I always wanted to buy comics or read comics. People saw me a lot of times in my free time reading comic books as well. You know, the people that I interacted with, the ones that I gravitate towards or gravitate towards me more were the ones that also were into comics or into cartoons. And it ended up helping me push where I wanted to go education-wise. First high school that I went to didn't really have a good arts program, so I ended up finding out about an arts program during the summertime, and I would actually go to summer school for art, even though most of us wanted to go around and play and be free during the summertime. I wanted to get better at art, so I would go to the school for art, and I did that for two summers, and then finally got to a better high school that had a good arts program.
0: And you just mentioned comics. What were you reading growing up? What type of comics? Most
1: of the mainstream stuff I could only find in my neighborhood. And a little bit outside of that, there were a bunch of newsstands and some little stores. That's where I would get most of my comics. And Marvel and DC looked like what I was seeing in the cartoon. So that's what I was familiar with and I was comfortable with. I would mostly buy Marvel work. And every once in a while, something crazy would happen with DC and then I would buy a DC book. But I was always more intrigued with the human side of Marvel, much more more apparent than what I would see with DC.
0: And transitioning to a better high school, how did your art style change?
1: it became more fine arts based before I had gotten to the better high school I was just drawing the comics that I would see and the cartoons that I would enjoy and then when I finally got to a school that actually had a dedicated art program we were tasked with doing different assignments that would expose me to different artists at the time that I had never seen before so I remember one particular assignment we were asked to do an entire composition that could not include anything but a word that started with the letter I or we chose a letter in the alphabet and then we would put that as our focus so I had an EBEX in the picture I forget the name of the artist that was the focus of the reproduction that we had to do so we had to take something from from the fine arts past and recreate that drawing and include other things so there's an image of a woman reclining on like it looks like a, almost like a full time but it kind of rises up at the end and we see her back and she's looking over at the viewer and that was the image that I was given And I think the artist's last name started off with an I. So that's what kind of prompted that letter. That was my first introduction into illustration as opposed to just comic book art. And that just continued to grow from there, which ended up getting me into the college that I went to where I got my B.A. as a studio artist.
0: And now, segueing into your college years, how did that further define you as an artist?
1: I had never really been given direction as an artist. Assignments like that were the only real direction I would get. I wouldn't get told what was working, what wasn't working, what I need to do to improve as an artist. At the time, since I was drawing so much, I was beyond the kids that were there at the school. So my teachers would tell me, hey, you already know what I'm going to teach these kids. They would whom I knew was already being taught. So they would say, hey, here's the assignment. Go off on your own and do it. I'm going to give these kids the attention that they need. By the time I got to college, I thought I just knew what I was doing. And I thought I was already ready to go. And that was my first introduction into design and craftsmanship and a lot of the foundation elements of art as opposed to the pretty finished.
0: Now, as an artist, you have to eat and you have to sell pieces and you have to survive. What was the very first drawing that you sold and how did you get it sold it was my
1: second year of college and i had kind of built a reputation for being an artist just the guy who loves to draw i used to draw on people's dry erase boards for fun and so people had a knowledge of that with me so one of the girls that would end up becoming one of my friends she wanted me to do a drawing of her for someone that she was interested in but she wanted to have it kind of sexy without revealing anything so i did a portrait of her lying in her bed with a sheet covering her and that portrait was the first one that i ended up selling and then from there i got a couple more commissions i want to say about maybe five commissions throughout my collegiate career
0: what was challenging about doing a live piece
1: just trying to make sure that it was as visually accurate as possible. Since I was in the fine arts program, people have that expectation that you're going to draw them how they look. So they want something photorealistic. Thankfully, at the time, I was able to do something that was close enough that she was happy with it. And it helped me to get some more drawings for other people later on.
0: Now, currently, you're known as a custom illustrator. Can you go into details of what a custom illustrator is? And how did you get into that area of art? Basically, a
1: custom illustrator is someone who can when taken upon a client will create an illustration based off of whatever desire that they have for the, the final composition. So I've had people asking me to, to create illustrations that are based off of comic book characters. I had a whole bunch of Spider-Man illustrations in my book. So someone wants to see my rendition of Spider-Man fighting Common Rider a character like the Power Rangers from Japan I've also had people ask me to go as far as drawing their own characters this one gentleman contacted me about a giraffe that he and his girlfriend came up with and the giraffe went on a bunch of different adventures and had a bunch of different stories but this one in particular had the giraffe dressed in sheep's clothing surrounded by other sheep and like a Norwegian rolling hills background and the concept of the illustration was that he had gotten into trouble with the mob so now he was on the land so I get anywhere from really cute stuff to really far out there stuff
0: and how do people find you as a custom illustrator
1: I'm on a few different websites. I'm on Comic Book Art Pros. I'm on ComicArtCommissions.com. I have my own website. I'm on Facebook and Instagram and all the social media centers. Uh, I also go to a lot of different comic book conventions, and people can find me that way and try to get something from me there.
0: And now as a custom illustrator, you've attended many different cons. What was your first con?
1: The very first one I went to was the Big Apple Con here in New York City, and it's been a show that was going on for decades and a lot of different generations have come and gone through that show and because it was local and it was easy to get to the first one I, I thought was the best opportunity thing and it up giving me that itch that i just had to keep going and i've been doing shows for eight years now
0: and at these cons you have many different prints how did you get introduced to creating prints
1: i was always doing the illustrations on my own whether it was something that someone would want to commission me for. So what I ended up doing was taking these illustrations and bringing them to the different conventions. I started bringing them to Big Apple Con first. I had them in color, and I used to work at Kinko, so I would get them printed there. I didn't really realize what the market was wanting, so I had a 9x12 portfolio. I put all the 85 by 11 prints in there, and then the more that people were taking those home and seeing other artists bringing the larger prints, that's when I transitioned from the 9x12 to the 11 x seventeen.
0: And you do a variety of different prints, one being a very classic traditional of either superheroes or a show like Avatar, The Last Airbender, or Korra. How do you go about creating a classical print versus a mashup print?
1: That will depend on one of three criteria by which I do my artwork right now. If I'm not doing my own book and I'm doing the illustrations, it's either something that I've just wanted to draw, which is generally the mashup. But if there's a demand where people will come by the table and say, hey, do you have X character? And if I hear that question often enough and I don't have that character available to see, then I'll end up creating that. Sometimes people will actually commission me to do work and then I'll bring those to the table as well for people to see and enjoy a perfect example is I did an illustration of the baby Looney tombs collected together so it's kind of like celebrating the characters and the reason for that illustration was because this family couldn't find a baby loony tombs theme for their kids birthday party so they commissioned me to do this drawing that was a banner behind the birthday cake and we took each individual character and used them as posters and used that as decorations throughout the party so I took that illustration brought it to the show to see how people would react to it and people seemed to be very happy with it so I made sure that that it's at every show that I'm at.
0: And do you have a formula for choosing which characters, superheroes, or mashups you do?
1: The mashups are always the funnest part of, part of my job. I want to say that the mashups either are something that come from a love of what I'm enjoying at the time or recognizing that the masses are really getting into this and I need to find a way to make it work. So another example of that is when the Justice League Unlimited came off the air, I felt like I still needed the Justice League. I wasn't fulfilled enough. So I was still watching a whole bunch of different cartoons and they were all superhero based. So I decided, hey, why don't I just put these guys together and have them form their own team? So I have an illustration based off of that and then I noticed that I wanted to try to bring Back the Who fans over to my table, but they would see my work and say, oh, you don't really have anything Back to Who based. And that's the only thing I'm really into and why I'm here. So, you know, you have a good day. And they would walk off and I would, end up not being able to engage them because I really didn't have any knowledge or experience with Doctor Who so I started watching the show and at the time I was playing Super Mario in between like I would watch the show and I was done with that and start playing my games I'd play Mario and I had just finished watching an episode of Doctor Who where the weeping angels were there and when I started playing Mario I just happened to be on a board that had the boos now if you know Mario and you know the boos the boos are the ghosts that when you walk away from them they follow you but if you look at them they cover their face they stop moving. And that is exactly how the Weeping Angels are in the Doctor Who story. And when I realized that, that light bulb flashes and it's like, hey, there's something here. So I started trying to figure out what the connections were between the rest of them. And just for my desire to become a part of this Doctor Who culture and enjoying the game with Mario, I found a new way to have an illustration that can now engage Doctor Who fans and Mario fans. And then that's been another hit that's come off of that.
0: And now, one of your more famous mashups is the Superman versus Goku print. How did
1: this come about? J. Scott Campbell, who did the cover for The Wizard magazine, East vs. West. It was the first time that I believe that the American public had finally seen a publication, a discussion about American comics versus manga and anime comics, and characters, rather. So they would pit different characters against each other. They did Battle of the Planets versus the Batman universe. They did Goku versus Superman. They did a few others. And... I said, you know, I really like this idea of how Goku was like the Japanese version of Superman. I don't remember if Woods had said that, but that was what I interpreted it as. So I said, you know, I'm going to put my own touch on this. And Dragon Ball Z holds a special place in my heart because when I was at the first high school that I was at, And meeting a lot of Japanese people for the first time, they would bring over their manga and their books. And one of my friends had introduced me to Dragon Ball. Actually, it was Dragon Ball Z, so later. And just seeing the style of drawing in 1991 was completely different than anything that I had seen in America. And I feel like even the way that Dragon Ball Z was drawn was even different from the different animes that I had seen at the time. So I was blown away. And that was one of the things I started drawing a lot. So... Now seeing this brought into the American pop culture, I thought it was a great thing. So I did my illustration, and I would show that at different conventions when I started doing the conventions. And around 2011, my art style had evolved and had moved into a different place. So I felt like I needed to redraw that drawing, so I had now a new one. And it has been a piece that I make sure that I bring at every show because it always sparks a conversation. It always brings people to the table, and we discuss you know the differences in the manga universes versus the comic universes, and then you know specifically with Goku and Superman. So then became the death battle that happened about a year or two ago, and that put the definitive answer out there that hadn't been addressed. So I was wondering, I was like, is this drawing not going to be a dead issue? So I ended up doing a piece for the Goku fans because a lot of Goku fans were very upset about the outcome. Overall, it was 70% Goku, 30% Superman in terms of who to win. So I felt Like okay, I gotta do a Goku print an illustration for those fans and doing that helped to keep that conversation going. So
0: in drawing a American style and a Japanese hero, did you come across any challenges? One of the
1: major challenges I always had with Superman was, you know, he's this big, powerful, almost unbeatable character. How do you portray that in an illustration? On top of that, I feel like Superman and Wonder Woman are those type of characters that they have to be the most beautiful, the most attractive out of all the characters as well. Like Superman has to be very handsome, very statue, ask And then Wonder Woman has to be very beautiful, very powerful at the same time. So those two characters have always presented problems for me. I go by The Learning Curve when I'm online. So like my email address is The Learning Curve at Gmail. And I've been on DeviantArt at The Learning Curve. And I chose that name because I've always wanted to get better as an artist. Everything that I do, I don't want to do the same as I did last year. So when I was trying to get better as an artist and realizing that women were giving me a hard time, like I wasn't drawing women well. So I decided I'd take the cues from one of the artists that I was following that was doing a Wolverine, Wednesday. And I said, I'm going to do a Wonder Woman Wednesday, and I'm going to draw Wonder Woman every Wednesday, whether it's a a sketch or a full-blown illustration. I wanted to get as much drawn as I could so that way I could practice and get better. I realized that with drawing that Superman versus Goku print, I wanted to make his face a certain way. And at the time, it wasn't where I wanted it to be, but it was as far as I could go with it. And thankfully, he was drawn well enough that it hasn't deterred people from taking it home.
0: And then another one of your mashups is the Powerpuff Girls Justice League Brainiac mashup. How did that come about?
1: When I first saw the Powerpuff Girls show, I was, it was such a vibrant and energetic show. I was just drawn into it. So I would watch the show and enjoy the different adventures and animations. And one day, I just saw it with all their different hair colors. I said, I wonder what would happen if they were actually cosplaying different characters or even just became different characters for a day. They fit into that superhero best friends forever thing that DC now has as an animation short. And this is the perfect timing for it. This is the time that the DC is putting it out there. Let's go ahead and do this mashup. Perfect timing and the hair color sparked it all. And then I figured, okay, I have these characters drawn, but I don't want them just to be there by themselves. It's going to be a little boring. Let's put a little drama into it and add the villain into it, overshadowing them. And if I'm going to put Moto Jojo in there he has to be brainiac he has to be the largest villain because that's in my opinion in their universe their largest villain.
0: how is this print received icon
1: it's been very well received a lot of people will pass by the table and will make them do a double take and from little kids to adults boys and girls see it and they smile from it so it's, it's been getting pretty good attention and what's cool is i haven't gotten a chance to do it yet but there's a site called rayjohn.com that does t-shirts that they fit the entire front and the entire back with an image and I have a an Adventure Time print that is on their site as a T-shirt. The reason why they contacted me was because they saw that that illustration of the Powerpuff Girls, and they wanted that to be a T-shirt. So that's going to be one that I'm going to be designing soon that can be available on the site as well.
0: Now, outside of custom illustrations and prints, you have worked on a book, A Reason to Smile. Can you describe what the graphic novel is about?
1: A Reason to Smile is about a little girl who is a walking silver lining. Her name is Luis Abriente. And this particular graphic novel follows her throughout New York City and the different people that she encountered. And she likes to people watch. She loves to see the differences in people's stature and appearance from being tall to being short, hunched over, very upright, take notice of all these things. And as she goes into, to people watching in the city so create a different story for different people hey that person' is walking really fast they're avoiding people maybe they're late for a flight to a faraway place or if that person is walking really slow and deliberate they might have come from like a filling fee so so take notice of these things and Every once in a while, she has an opportunity to help some people out. The problems don't go away. So that's what happens in the real world. We all have problems. But because they've worked together, they find that they can deal with the problems a little easier. So what I'm trying to do with the story is bring some fun, take us away from some of the negativity that we see in the world. And even though that negativity is still there, it's like lingering in the background. It's something that we can still deal with and still move on and find a way to still be happy in life.
0: And obviously, you have a very strong female character at the center of this graphic novel. do you go about creating her as a character? I used to
1: work in the school system up until about 2012 and I would see the different graphic novels that the, the children there were reading and generally most of them were either mainstream comics or comics that were coming from different publishers and most of them either had characters that had supernatural connections which were how they would solve their problems or they would have superpowers and oftentimes they would be fighting a bad guy and once the bad guy was vanquished then you know hooray problem solved. And I wanted to be able to present the kids another option. I wanted to show them that they didn't have to read a book about powers. They didn't have to have a storyline that was dependent on the supernatural connections, that they could actually read a story about the real world. And because they're kids, use that imagination that they have to create these other elements that they would probably see in their own lives. And from there, they'll be able to have some enjoyment.
0: And now the book was initially funded on Kickstarter. Why did you choose to go through Kickstarter rather than another platform?
1: It's the best website for crowdfunding. There is a level of prestige that Kickstarter has that the others have not attained yet. I felt like if I can make it work on Kickstarter, I could definitely help to push this book further than if I did it on my own. So being able to put it on Kickstarter has a wonderful element where once your campaign has either been funded or not funded, your campaign still stays on their site. So I can always direct someone to the Kickstarter and say, hey, if you look up Kickstarter and you look up A Reason to Smile, you'll see my campaign, you'll see the updates, you'll see how much I made, you'll see the success that this book has garnered before it even got into people's hands. So that's something that I can say this is what I've done this is what I can do for you and what you're becoming a part of, it's something that has some substance. and something that you will be proud to have in either your library or in your family's hands.
0: And how do you feel being part of it's an indie comic movement on Kickstarter? How do you feel that really helps the comic industry grow?
1: It's finally giving us the power as opposed to having to ask for the power. I mean, Unless you were a, a creator that created something so radically different and so radically needed that you were trying to push through the dirt to, get to the top and I feel like with Kickstarter what's happening now is that a lot of creators are now being able to share their voice and not rely on having to work for somebody else. So now if you have an idea, if you have an ability to create a story and you want to put that out there, you can now go through Kickstarter, GoFundMe, or whatever crowdfunding platform you want to use, and it'll help you to gain that capital that you need in order to reach the masses. Because, you know, you can create your story and you can create your artwork and you can have a one shot and it could be in your house or you can have a few of them that you are able to print and give them to your friends or someone that you know. But being able to get them into the masses is that much harder because if you don't have the money for it, if you don't have the outreach for it, it's hard to make that happen. So with Kickstarter you already have this platform that's worldwide and you can now say, Hey, you can now get this story or you can be part of the creation of this story by helping to get it funded. And then that also gives the fans a sense of power too, because now they can choose what they want to read and what they want to be a part of as opposed to being told these are your only options. This is the only thing you can read or the only thing you can watch and enjoy what you have.
0: And obviously a reason to smile one book is not enough. When is a second book gonna be coming out?
1: The second book should be coming out soon. I keep telling people dates and I'm stopping that because I've I've been putting so much information and so much detail into the story. It's been pushing back and pushing back. But this book I feel as I said before, I like to evolve. I like to grow as an artist. This book will be at least double the detail, double the information. One thing that I was very proud of, realizing as I was working on this book, is that in the first book I wanted it a mesh between like a picture book and a graphic novel. So I added panels and I did big flash pages or illustrations that were you know helped to tell the story. And in the first book I had eight illustrations that were full page spread, and then the rest of the pages were or well, not eight, I fifteen pages that were double-page spread. When this book is going to come out, there will be uh, less than the amount of double-page spread. I focused more on the panel work, and now it's going to be more of a comic book and graphic novel style book.
0: And where can people purchase the first book?
1: So the first book is available on Amazon.com. If you look up Javier and A Reason to Smile, it'll get you right to the book, and you can purchase it that way. You can always contact me, and that way you can get a signed copy uh, through my email address, It's curve at gmail.com with no E at the end uh, of Curve. And you can also get them from me at the different comic book shows that I'm going to.
0: Finally, before we dive into promos, do you have any advice for people who want to get into the comic industry as an artist
1: draw everything do not be afraid of what you cannot draw i feel like that was one of the things that hindered me for a long time and i would only draw what i was comfortable with and it took me too long to get to where i'm at because of that and i, I didn't have any real mentors that would help guide me in a different direction so in learning how to get to what i wanted to do i just would draw what was comfortable what was, so draw everything and if you know that you at drawing something draw that even more because it's going to end up making everything else better
0: and finally do you you have anything you'd like to promote, book, prints, website, Twitter, Facebook, where to buy your work, or upcoming conventions?
1: A reason it's Small volume two coming out soon. It was already funded on Kickstarter. It was the second funded campaign that will be coming out soon. And you can see the progress for the artwork of the book on Instagram. If you look up my email address on either Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or Flickr, you'll find my profile that way. And then if you're on DeviantArt, you can go sort to of, The Learning Curve, deviantart.com you can find me there as well and as of right now i'm still trying to flesh out what shows that i'm doing next year I'm finalizing my application for MegaCon. I'm locked into Big Apple Con. I'm also going to be at the Puerto Rico Comic Con. If you're out in Puerto Rico, you'll see me there. And if you stay tuned to thecurve.com, that's my website, my personal website. I'll have information on there as it comes up. And then I'm also on Facebook at facebook.com, thecurve And that'll also have updates as to which shows I'll be at.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast. And as always, subscribe to wherever you listen to your podcasts. And now on to some big news. In the next few days, I am launching my first t-shirt. And all updates regarding that t-shirt launch will be on Twitter, at PopAnimeComics. So be sure to follow me there for all updates regarding the t-shirt. Till next week, everybody, have a wonderful week.